If you will, turn back in your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 16. We are going to take a second evaluation of this portion of Scripture because, as you can tell, we didn't come to its climax and its end last week. We came to part one of God's response to the people of Israel. The title of our message is Arise, Move, and Go. Last week, the subtitle was These Are My Two Witnesses. I'm speaking from the divine voice. God is saying, these are my witnesses. And that infers that there was a challenge as to what constituted God's witnesses. And there was a conflict that ensued because there were some who asserted a right of position that was not theirs. We saw that in verse 1 of Numbers 15, Korodathan and the rest thought that they had a right to approach God as if they could arbitrarily take a position of priesthood and God would have nothing to say about it. And I shared with you last week that that was insanity to assume that you and I have a right to disregard our boundaries, to neglect our parameters of of purpose and calling, and, uh, and fail to realize what it means to stay in your lane. That was the way we framed it last week, right? Know your boundaries, understand your limitations, and stay in your lane. That makes good sense, doesn't it? Right, and, and, and there's somewhat of that same message we want to convey today because God did three new things that were extremely important to comprehend. Now, my thoughts were, just a few months ago, these 300 and something men, 250 princes, along with the sons of Aaron, I mean, uh, Korah and Dathan, and then Abiram, uh, Nadab and Abiram, they all had children. I said there were over 300 people that were destroyed in one day. I said, boy, that's, when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and end up in hell, that, that means you had a bad day. Um, and that might sound a little bit facetious, but there are people who find themselves making decisions in life that can take them down the wrong course for a long time. There may be a few of you in the house who know what I'm talking about. Don't raise your hand real quick if you, if you don't, because it's a blessing if you can avoid Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And frequently when people are told that's not the right way, and they still go that way, the Bible calls them a fool. The proverb says a prudent man sees the evil afar off. But the foolish man goes on into it and are punished. Those are good pros, aren't they? And so your Bible will put people in two categories, fools and wise people. And, uh, and, and we as believers are called to be wise. Certainly you are wise if you believe in Christ, but you and I are also called to behave wisely. Would you agree with that? And uh, believers are not impugned. We're not impugned from consequences of bad and wrong behavior. Can you imagine just a few months, about 12 months ago, these men were slaves of Pharaoh. They were slaves of Pharaoh consigned to a miserable labor of brick making without straw. Do you guys remember that? 
That's why working a job 70 to 80 hours a week and only making minuscule pay. And then on top of that, you are laboring without the mercy of straw and building brick. That's designed to break your attitude. That's designed to break your spirit. It's designed to humble you and make you defeated in your thinking. That was the goal of the man who xenophobically asserted that he needed to kill all the firstborn in Egypt if he was going to maintain control over population growth. Hint, hint. And it's these people here, these very same people here, who were just under that authority, that dictatorial monarchy authority, and they want to go back. How insane can that be? Now, the Lord is giving you and I these passages for us to think through things, okay? Um, If you have the imagination or creativity of biblical study, what you always want to do is be able to assess in the text who are the subjects. How many subjects are there? How many players in this narrative? I'm going to lay a foundation for you. How many players in this narrative? Because you must not assume you have a handle on the text if you can't understand who the subject is, who the objects are, who the protagonists are, who the antagonists are. You got to carry an awareness of all those categories because in a narrative uh, propositional text like this, God wants you to know why certain things happen to certain people in certain ways because of certain behavior. So in our text, there are at least four categories. First and foremost, and never miss this because you're not doing theology if you miss this. The first and most important subject of any text of scripture is God himself. That's called theology, by the way. That's called theology. The second most important person in that text after God are those who are called to be servants of God. Okay, that's important to know. Who are those who are on the Lord's side? Because there you will find how they respond will determine for us the positive or negative relationship that they have with God. Okay, it's important. Then who are the overt antagonists? Who are they that are rising up in opposition to either God or the people of God? And frequently it's going to be both. Am I making some sense? There will often be a fourth category that you don't know. He's called the ram in the thicket. He is the the um, sleeper. He is that person that God is going to use to bring clarity as to why God allowed all this to occur. This will be your mystery redeemer, your mystery savior type. Did that come home? Because often what God is doing in the disarray of historical narratives is letting you see from a human standpoint how we behave. Now, you take a bunch of cats and try to herd them down a road and see what you get. They will scatter all over the place, will they not? And that's like humanity. That's, that's like humanity. Humanity are like a bunch of cats. You tell them to walk down the straight and narrow and they do everything but. Is that true? And yet the shepherd over humanity is God. Would you agree with that? The king of glory rules everybody. There's no one outside of God's control. So that even chaos is dictated and governed by God. So what you and I want to make sure that we don't do is what they did last week, fall prey to what we call a horizontal dilemma, where you're only seeing things from a human vantage point. You can look at it from a human vantage point for sure and see where we are culpable as human beings of either having the propensity to do it the inclination thereof, or the grace to forbid it, right? Sometimes we'll have temperaments as human beings where we'll look at a portion of scripture and you'll go, "Uh uh-uh, that's not for me. 
Well, that's probably because you have a temperament that does not lean you in that direction. At other times, you will have a temperament where you will lean into a direction where you are actually cheering for the antagonist. Am I making some sense? And that's because, as our elder told you, you and I are both what? Sinners and righteous. So some days you'll wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you'll want to agree with Korah and Datham. Now you're saying, no, no, pastor, but I'm saying, yes, yes, you will. And you won't even know it. You'll have a bad day where you're going around basically operating outside of your lane. You'll have a bad day where you're operating in a radically severe horizontal dilemma. What do I mean by that? You forgot that when you opened your eyes, you should have said, thank you, Lord, for another day. And Lord, would you lead my steps? Would you guide me? Would you keep me sensitive to your will? Will you help me to make right choices today so that I don't blow it? After all, not my will be done, but thine, right? So now what I'm talking to you about is how to at least acknowledge God in terms of getting the day about. Because if you and I don't acknowledge God as we go about our day, if our day falls apart, we can't blame God. Am I making some sense? I'm laying a foundation for you for our three points because I want you to have application up front just in case you miss the gospel as I preach it. I hope that God opens your eyes to it. But the gospel are really only for people who are honest with God. And that's what the gospel is about. It's a sinner's gospel. It's a gospel that helps men and women understand that but by the grace of God, there go I. Does that make some sense? And so what we're dealing with in our text is remarkable to me because it's laying out for us a kind of a full uh, landscape of battles between God and his servants and and those who are supposed to be the servants of God. But they are not. And then these people who are in the middle ground like Nadab and Abiyah. Let me get that name right because I want you to get this. I was looking at this earlier. Yes, um, Dathan and Abiram, when Moses had told Dathan and Abiram to come up, let's talk about this. They said, no, we're not coming. But later on, they went. Okay, so they are like a lot of people who are in between narratives, in between vertical propositional truth and horizontal propaganda. I'm going to say that once again. There are people who are operating in between vertical propositional truth claims and horizontal propaganda. And they're stuck struggling as to who is a real authority to believe in. Your Bible sets that forth all the time. Israel was between that halting position in the days of Jezebel when the false prophets were around and they were worshiping them. And remember what Elijah said, why are you halting between two positions? If if Jehovah be God, worship him. See, so you and I can be stuck some days in between two. Can I get an amen? It's really true. And I'll tell you why. Because your will, your volition, your inclination, your propensities and desires are way stronger than you want to admit. They're way stronger than you want to admit. And the real battle of sanctification for every one of us as a child of God is bringing in subjection our will to the will of God. All right. So I'm going to use the term that was in the hymn, the heart and the soul. The first hymn said to us, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. That's what our elder talked about. He raised the question, what about a wandering heart? Does that make some sense? Does the heart wander? If the heart wanders, it's the mind wandering. It's the desires wandering. 
It's the, it's the soul longing to have certain things and in many cases pursuing those things without God's approval. Does that make some sense? Right. And then the, the final hymn said, be still my soul. The Lord is on your side. So when your heart is wandering, guess what you need to say to it? Be still. But see, that means you need to be sensitive to yourself. Because a lot of times you may not be sensitive to your own inner workings, your own inner psychological, emotional, discombobulated, uh, paradoxical, conflicting desires. You can you can be you can be blinded to your own passions. This is what Jeremiah said. And also, Paul, the deceitfulness of the heart. Right. It can be deceitful. It can speak to you flatteringly while all at the same time departing from God. And that's what's going on in our case. I'm just laying that out just in case the rest of, uh, of the time becomes difficult uh, for you to understand. What is really clear to me as a takeaway are several things. The way that these people responded in Numbers 16 was absolutely uh, phenomenal to me, where the people of God watched the destruction of these rebels, And here's what they responded in verse 41. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. Do you guys see that? Now, I'm telling you, that's remarkable. There was a major war that happened the day before. There were hundreds and hundreds of leaders, rulers opposing two men. Now, this is what we call a Megiddo Uh, a Megiddo effect or a Armageddon motif. Armageddon is when the world gathers together against God's people. I've taught you that for years. God allows the multitudes to challenge the minority. He allows the big groups of people, the majority, to challenge the minority. He allows them. This is what is meant by my two witnesses. Are you guys hearing me? So there are going to often be scenarios in the world where you're going to be the minority. And everybody else is going to be the majority. And they're coming after you, particularly if you are chosen by God as his witnesses, because everything we have to say for God in this world, the world does not like. And so you got these two brothers who woke up one day and half the authorial kingdom was assaulting them. And then the smoke clears after everything went down and these two brothers are still around. Isn't that right? Now, the last two brothers that you need to be running up on is these two brothers. It would seem to me, it would seem to me that what just happened means I need to leave Moses and Aaron alone. But here comes the whole congregation after Moses and Aaron and and bringing an indictment on them that affirmed my proposition to you last week that you and I can be so stuck in a horizontal dilemma that you fail to see God in what happened just recently. Notice again what they said. And they murmured against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. We need to take a break right there and think that one through. Think about that. What did Aaron and Moses have to do with the dying of these men? Absolutely nothing. Would you agree with that? And yet here they are 
framing the language. We're getting ready to learn something here. Here they are framing the language, you guys, in such a way as to make it about Moses and Aaron. If that's not propaganda, I don't know what is. Don't we live in that generation today? Are y'all keeping up with me? You can actually see an event take place vividly, clearly, empirically, and then the media will tell you it's something else. And you're supposed to believe the media. So your Bible will tell you how easy it is for our biases to bend and shape the narrative in a way that will meet our needs. We are some terribly fickle people, are we not? And, 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 and it's remarkable what's going on here in this portion. So I want you to learn from it. Millions of people can see the same thing at the same time. And because they're not predisposed to believing truth, they will still succumb to a lie. Billions of people will see the same thing at the same time unambiguously set forth by an authority that is not being mysterious or not playing games, and they still miss what the real event is about. It's important for you and I to know that we can be deceived. And so what's going on in our text demands that you and I at least initially do this, appreciate God for his patience. Appreciate God for his patience. You wake up on a day where you're spending an inordinate amount of time complaining. You need to thank God for not doing a new thing in your life. That'll come home in a minute. You need to thank God for not doing a new thing in your life. Am I making some sense? You need to thank God that as he says, I am Jehovah, I do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not destroyed. I'm glad that God is long-suffering and merciful, way beyond human beings. But I must say this as we're getting ready for our understanding. I must say that I don't even think at this point we're dealing with a horizontal dilemma in this case. I think what we're dealing with now is a people group who are ignoring the reality of the presence of God. I want you to take that into consideration. Either they're operating out of a horizontal dilemma where they refuse to be able to acknowledge what truly is going on because they're so stuck in their own agenda, their own desire, their own plans. They all want to go back to Egypt. They enjoyed the message of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Remember I told you, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the 250 princes, they didn't just show up one day. You know they had to plan this out. They had to have conversation for a long time. Then they had to spread it out to the people because that's what you do with propaganda. You set ignorant folks up and then you make your public stance because you know you have the people behind you. Am I making some sense? In our country, we do it by polls. There's polls that shift people. Questions that are raised, shaped and formed and designed to lean you into an answer. And then even when the posters, those behind the posters are not liking the numbers, they actually inflate the numbers and that gets in your head even more. Well, 40% of Americans believe in, you know, UFOs. The next year is 60%. Are you seeing what I'm saying? 70% of Americans believe in abortion. The next year it's 80%. All of this here is propositional propaganda. And it's designed to get in your head because you trust numbers more than you do God. 
Am I making some sense? Can I keep educating you as we lay? This is why I love God's Bible. I love his word because his word explains all these things all the time. The word of the Lord is right. All of his works are done in truth. There's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is and that which is has already been. And even that which is coming, that too has already happened. We are cycling through patterns. These are called pathological behavior patterns on the larger sociological level. God knows and you and I should know as well. Okay, here's the takeaway I want you to capture as we prepare to go into our outline. First of all, stupid choices can lead to severe consequences. You don't have to be an educated person to know that. Stupid choices can lead to severe consequences. The second takeaway, submission to God's sovereignty is the secret to every successful endeavor. Submission to God's sovereignty is the secret to every successful endeavor. That's the second takeaway. The third takeaway, who it is that God sets up to lead is God's choice. And God's choices are always right. Whoever God sets up to lead is God's choice. And God's choices are always right. Now, this here is also a syllogism because if we believe the last proposition, whoever God sets up is God's choice and God is always what? God is always what? He's always right. Then that means also necessarily it is the right thing for us to submit to his sovereignty in order that success is affirmed in our life. Does that make some sense? Because if I'm bumping up against God's sovereignty, I'm telling God he's not right. And then we can go back to that first principle. Stupid choices lead to severe consequences. You believe that. Your Bible tells you the reason we call men and women to faith in Christ is because the wages of sin is what? That's a stupid choice. Is that not a stupid choice? To live and die without the mercy that is freely offered to sinners in Christ is a stupid choice. Would you agree? But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Am I making some sense to you guys? Point number one then, let's walk through this quickly. Fools tread where angels dare not. Fools tread where angels dare not. What you're dealing with here in this proposition is my thought about the opening narrative where Korodathan and Abiram are telling Moses and Aaron, you guys are taking too much on yourself. You guys have lifted yourself up. You put yourself in a position to rule over us. And in reality, that was projection because they wanted to do the same thing that Moses and Aaron was doing. A lot of times people will challenge you when really what it is, they want your position. That's called projection. Be able to read that now, because once you pick up on that, understand it's not about you. It's about the God that puts you where you are. So this is what's going on in our text. And I want you to capture that. I said, fools tread where angels dare not. We won't go into the deep angelology theology around that, but angels don't play games with devils. They, you, you've heard it before. Michael dare not even raise a railing accusation against Satan, but simply say the Lord rebuke you. This is not my battle. This is the Lord's battle. The Lord rebuke you. So a lot of times, saints, flesh and blood is not the battle. You and I, we don't wage war against flesh and blood. 
but against principalities and powers and dominions and high places. And when you do, all you need to do is know where God is in that battle zone, what he is up to and say, the Lord is on my side. What can man do unto me? I'm laying a foundation for you. You guys know this. I'm looking at, out at you guys and the average age around you guys is something like a half a century. I see it. So I know you know your Bible enough to know what I'm saying, okay? You've read your Bible enough to know, right? How to trust God in the midst of a storm. Fools tread where angels dare not. Subpoint A, they had no right to take the censer. Did you know that? Remember the proposition? Moses said, go get your censer. We're getting ready to find out. Y'all remember that? He said, go get your censers. We're getting ready to find out who God chooses, okay? They had no right to it. They had no right. Hebrews chapter five, verses one through four. Give you a little theology on the role of the high priest so you can capture it. And then we'll move on. And this is the same way it is in ministry. May I say this as you're going there? Like a person cannot arbitrarily call themselves to the pastoral ministry. All kind of people do it. Men, women, cats and dogs. Men, women, cats and dogs. Cats and dogs are a metaphor today for that community. The alphabet mafia, cats and dogs. Y'all don't know that yet? You're, you're laughing. I'm, how many of you guys know what I'm Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. I told you we were moving into bestiality and we're here now. Yes. Don't play with me. I'm trying to help you. So it, it was, it's not a small thing that we confound categories. That we fail to understand the distinction between a male and a female. Once you break those boundaries, off you go. And there's no telling where you end up when you have failed to understand your limitations. When you have exceeded the boundaries, now you're wide open to the enemy's attack. Am I making some sense? We're here now. We're here now. And they're proud about it, being dogs and cats and everything else. Proud about it. And that better be the pronoun you call them by. They're proud about it. This is what we mean by reprobation of the heart and mind when God gives you up to your own lusts. God is not a liar. And this is what we're going to learn today. For every high priest is taken from among men. He's ordained for men and things pertaining to who? God is the one that chose the high priest. The people didn't. Didn't I teach you that? Aaron wasn't chosen by the people. That was not a democratic process. That was a divine designation. Here it is again. Watch this. That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Is that what Aaron does? Did he do it today? We're getting ready to talk about it. Verse two, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself is compassed with infirmity. Can I teach right here? I want to take this New Testament text, plop it down on our text. Notice what it says. His goal is to have compassion on the ignorant and those that are out of the way. Y'all got that? His goal is not to have compassion on the presumptuous sinner. The presumptuous sinner does not get mercy. Did I teach you guys that? So you see what's going on in our narrative. A whole bunch of people were presumptuous sinners, weren't they? Now, some got the benefit of Aaron's intervention, did they not? But a whole lot of people were left out because of their presumption. We're getting ready to teach on that. Verse three, this is the point I want you to capture. And by reason thereof, he asked for the people also for himself to offer sins. And so Aaron did. Verse four. And no man takes this honor to himself. Aaron didn't wake up one day and said, I want to lead 1.3 billion rebellious people for God. He did not do that. God called him. You guys got that? 
God called him. And people fail to understand that today. God calls a person when he rightly calls them. And when he calls them, he never violates his law in calling them. You'll meet all kind of people, as Jeremiah said, that said, the Lord called me to preach. He called me to ministry. They ran, but the Lord did not send them. They spoke, but the word of the Lord was not in their mouth. Am I making some sense? I want you to get that, saints, because you got all kind of relatives that are talking about the Lord spoke to them and called them to ministry. And, and you don't know how to challenge that if you don't have a Bible that lays out the parameters and boundaries and qualifications for biblical leadership. Now, all of a sudden, well, I guess the Lord did call. I can't tell you what the Lord didn't tell you and didn't tell you. Certainly you can if you don't know your Bible. Am I making some sense? God's not going to give you a mysterious, wild-eyed idea about doing something that's explicitly contrary to his written word. This is called the preceptive will of God. And the preceptive will of God never contradicts the sovereign will of God. It never contradicts the secret will of God. It never contradicts the passive will of God. It all works in harmony. Am I making some sense? I know that if you say God called you and the word of God says, no, you're not called, I know you're lying. Now, you may not know you're lying. You may not even know that the devil is telling you that. But what I know is you cannot be called of God and you are explicitly contradicting God's word. This is what these men did. Are you guys hearing me? This is what they did. Under point number one, again, we want to keep moving. They had no right to take the censor, no right at all. They were presumptuous. Sub point B, God had chosen his priesthood. He'd already chosen it. Listen to Psalm 105. This is what your elder is referring to. Listen to Psalm 105, verse 15. Psalm 105, 15. Then we're going to do verse 17. This is, can you start back at verse 14, please? Give a context. Notice this. He suffered no man to do them wrong. Who is he talking about? Moses and Aaron. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Joseph. He reproved kings for their sake. Go to verse 15. Saying, touch not mine anointed. Who is God's anointed? Aaron. And do my prophets no harm. Who is this prophet? Moses. You got Moses speaking God's law and you got Aaron executing God's priestly duty. Did y'all get that? Look over at verse 27. Verse 27, uh, Psalm 105. And let's affirm this. We'll keep it, keep it going. It may be verse 26. Look at Psalm 105, verse 20, um, verse 26. Okay. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had what? There it is. So anointing is the Hebrew term Messiah or Mashiach, and the priest is occupying a role of the messianic calling of Jesus. Is Jesus not our great high priest? He's the mediator between God and man. Aaron is to typify Jesus as he stands in the gap for God's people. Y'all got that? Moses brought you the law. Truth and grace comes where? By Jesus the Christ. So we're laying a foundation for us to comprehend the first major tragedy under point number one is fools tread where angels dare not. What caused these men to be so foolish? The arrogance of their heart. How do we know this? Do you guys remember King Uzziah? Second Chronicles 26 verse 16 through 21. I want you to get it. He's the king of Israel, but he's not the priest. He's the king of Israel. He's not the prophet. Remember what I said to you last week? You got to know your limitations. You got to stay in your boundaries. Now, Uzziah is king. Now, Uzziah right now is acting a plain out fool. 
You know what he's doing? He's arrogating to himself full authority of the, over the totality of the kingdom of Israel. Now, national Israel operated out of a three-tiered system, very much like our country is to operate out of. King, priest, prophet. We have an administrative branch that constitutes a judiciary, a legislative, and an executive branch, do we not? And all three of those branches are to operate independently, coordinately. No one branch is to dominate the other, just in case you have rogue authorities that rise up and want to take over everything. That set of branches of government is to make sure that the people also are checked. What do I mean by that? People will actually become more inclined to be democratic socialists than they will operate out of a representative republic. And why do I say that? It's because we will often as human beings give to people more power than they can handle or more power than they have right to because we're too lazy to step up to the bat and occupy positions of lower authority. Remember what uh, Moses was taught? One person per 10, one over a hundred, another over a thousand. And when the issues become too difficult, bring them to Moses. Y'all got that? These are local registrates that were to deal with local problems. Everything was not to go up top to Moses. That would have turned him into another Pharaoh. What does that mean, pastor? It means that when God liberates you out of the bondage of sin, he calls you to a life of liberty and virtue. I love it. This is the way the founding fathers put it. So this is for those of you who are new. Liberty without virtue is a curse. Did y'all get that? So everybody wants to be free, but if you don't have character, your freedom is going to make you make wrong choices. And if you put people in authority over you, those people have to be better than you. If you put people in authority over you who are worse than you, you're going to have the outcome you asked for. Am I making some sense? This is where I am in my generation. This is why I love the word of God. It makes it clear. Notice what it says. But when he was strong, Uzziah, his heart was what? Lifted up to his own what? That's exactly what we said earlier, right? Fools tread where angels dare not go, right? He's doing that here. This is the king. And God had blessed him exceedingly. Watch this. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar. Didn't he read Leviticus? Didn't he read Numbers? That happened some 900 years earlier. Didn't he read about Aaron's two boys? Didn't he read about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? But you see, when your heart gets lifted up, you think you can exceed boundaries, violate categories. Now, here you are, the head of the executive branch. You're going to tell the judicial branch and the legislative branch what to do. You're going to override them. You're going to put your own posse in there, and then y'all going to just trudge ahead to do whatever you want to do. Is anybody listening to me? And that's what we're dealing with in our text with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. This is why God did what he did. He wanted everybody to get the lesson. He'll let evil run for a long time to wake his people up and to cause us to really struggle with understanding where we are. His goal is to red pill you. His goal is to get you to open your eyes to simulated activity that has been framed to lead you into thinking something that is not true. 
That's the goal of the Holy Ghost, to bring you into remembrance of the truth. And where you and I are not humble enough to admit, I can be deceived. I can be deceived. I can be deceived. Certainly my government can lie to me. I think I told you this before. Politics is the most diabolical system on the planet. It is the most sophisticated, entrenched mechanism for deceiving the masses there ever was. There's only one thing worse than politics. Do you know what that is? Religion. Listen to what the text goes on to say, verse 18. Listen to it, verse 18. I'm sorry, verse 17, you were jumping ahead. I want to capture that. And Azariah the priest went in after him and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. Now, is that not what the priesthood should have done? Run up on that king. Now, that's because the priests have a vertical view, don't they? They know they're serving God. They have to stop the king in his tracks. Stop, O king. Stop, O king. There's a greater king than you on the throne in glory, and we see him. Watch this. Verse 18. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, it does not pertain unto you, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary. What a word. What a word. See, that's what the that's what the legislative branch should be saying to the executive branch. That's what the uh, legislative branch should be saying to the judicial branch. Do your job. Stay in your lane. We need this equality of systems to keep this thing going down the right path. Some of you get it, some of you don't, because you guys don't understand politics and government, particularly our, our present governmental system. See, what's happening in our numbers text is a coup. I told you that, right? A coup d'etat. They're trying to take over the kingdom that God set up. It's happening right now in front of us. I keep telling you that. Your, your government is being taken over by a coup. And you know it because the three forms of government are not functioning as they are. Y'all keeping up with me? It's really true. It's really true. I, I would waste way more time than I should in this by explaining to you in detail what's going on. But you should be able to pick it up for yourself. Listen to what the text says. He says, go out of the sanctuary for you have transgressed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. They're, they're warning him prophetically that God is not going to honor him. Isn't that what he's, they're saying? Uzziah, you may be a great king. God may have blessed you. You are the king of Judah. God has given you all kind of honors. You are David's son, but you're not God. You don't get to do whatever you want to do. God is not going to bless you. So now the prophetic spirit is on the priesthood warning the monarchy, is it not? What was Uzziah supposed to do? Run out of the temple in repentance and humility. But he didn't because pride will destroy you. Verse 20. Here it is. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 19. Then Uzziah was wroth, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he had the censer in his hand. To burn incense. He totally disregarded the whole priesthood. Listen to it. And while he was wrought with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. Immediately, Uzziah 
is feeling the plague that we're about to talk about in our text. Is this not a plague? Didn't we just see this with Miriam? With Miriam? With Miriam? Because she tried to rise up with, with Aaron and usurp Moses' authority. Stay in your lane. Do you see it? Right. Look at the next verse then. And Azariah, the chief priest and all the priests looked upon him and behold, he was leprous in his forehead and they thrust him out from this. Yea, himself. Hurry up and ran down. When somebody brought a mirror, boy, look at yourself. He said, whoa. And he took off too. <laughs> because the Lord had what? Because the Lord had what? Yeah. The Lord will discipline even those that are his own. He was a son of David. He was a son of David. And look at him now. He's not only ousted from the church, he's ousted from his kingship because he's unclean now. Look at the next verse. Look at it. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death and dwelt in a several house, a house set aside from the whole city. See, leprosy is a type of sin and that, a, that means you cannot be part of the community because your sin will contaminate people. Does that make some sense? So God had to separate. Every day, everybody was looking up on the hill at Uzziah the king, separated from the people of God. All right, let's go back to our text. That's the lesson that you and I want to derive from that fool's tread where angels do not dare. Point number two in our outline, fire from heaven consecrates God's choice. Look at verse 34 and 35 briefly in our outline. You believe that God brings fire upon humanity? You may not. It does not matter. There are deep implications to be drawn out here. Your Bible gives you thematic principles. And one of the thematic principles is let him who is the true and the living God rain fire down from heaven. That's an Old Testament motif. What that means is heaven is governing things. And when heaven brings fire down, heaven has spoken against the evils that are going on. Y'all got that? We'll go a bit deeper, but I just want you to see it. So that in verse 34 and 35 of our text under point number two, fire from heaven consecrates God's choice. It's clear how it's laid out. Notice what it says. And all Israel that were round about fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. So this is what happened to Korah and Dathan in their household. They got swallowed up, did they not? And the people began to run, didn't they? Notice what it says in verse 35. And there came out fire from the Lord and consumed 250 uh, men that offered what? that offered incense and there came out fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. This is wild. I want you to get this. This is the point I want to drive home. These men knew exactly what they were doing. They were sinning in the teeth and face of explicit prohibition on God's part to never ever occupy the position of Aaron and his sons. Did y'all get that? And I want you to see it. So this is a bit of a Bible study for you to know. This rebellion that's going on today is not against Moses and Aaron. It's against God because God had laid it out clearly. Look again, look again in Leviticus chapter 10 and notice what it says in verse one through uh, 10. This is the awful event that we had alluded to, but I want you to capture it now. Now, Nadab and Abihu were the sons of who? Aaron. Aaron's the high priest. And they took either of them in his hand a what? There we go. Senses everywhere. 
and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered what kind of fire to the Lord? Strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Isn't this amazing? You know what we're doing today? We're looking at a bunch of people who say they know God rebelling against God. Isn't that what we're doing? We're watching a whole bunch of people say they saved in Jesus name, filled with the Holy Ghost, rebelling explicitly against God. Don't tell me we are not sinners. It's the most ridiculous thing for you to say. I'm saved and therefore I sin no more. You either are in glory or you are deluded. <laughs> Listen to the text. Listen to it. And there went out fire from the Lord and did what? Devoured them and they, def- and they died before the Lord. Before the Lord, meaning they were in the temple. So God doesn't change, does he? You don't get to approach God any kind of way you want to. Look at the subsequent verses. It's important. Then Moses said unto Aaron, this is that that the Lord had spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come what? Nigh me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Was God sanctified on that day? Was he glorified on that day? So understand glorification and sanctification means that God will be proven that he was right in what he said. You and I may not like what God says, but he will be right in what he says. God told them, do not come before me if you are not qualified. And this is Aaron's two boys. They were slated to the priesthood after him. That was an arrow in that father's heart, was it not? You and I know something about that with our children, don't we? Right. And listen to what it goes on to say in verse, um, verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is that which the Lord spake. I will be sanctified in them that come near me, and before all the people will I be glorified. And Aaron complained about it. He held his peace. Aaron is learning some things about the true and the living God, is he, not? is he not? So as we're making our way through the wilderness, we're learning a lot about Aaron, aren't we? He made a lot of mistakes, didn't he? On this day, he really realized how sinful he and his family are. Because his boys are only really behaving as he did in his fickleness to rise up against Moses with his sister to build that golden calf. Am I making some sense? To whom much is given, what? Much is required. You and I cannot at all blame our kids for acting like us when we act like that. Right. And it's important for you to get. So now watch how the language goes, because this here is going to be a pattern for our text. And Moses called Mishael and Eliphaz, uh, Elzaphan, the son of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary of the Lord. Verse 5. I want to walk through this. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp. And Moses, as Moses had said, verse six, and Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar and unto Ithamar, his sons, uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die. In other words, they were not even at liberty to mourn and grieve over the death of their cousins, because that would have been choosing between the glory of God and the human empathy of men who are functioning in rebellion against God. Does that make some sense? Now, I, I, I want to help you with that if you already have the heebie-jeebies. Let me help you. God sees the end from the beginning. And sometimes he will check your emotions to keep you from starting to develop an antagonism or antipathy towards him. Somebody say amen. Please get what I'm saying. He will check your emotion. Because you and I, we rebel against God incrementally in our emotional makeup. And what he'll tell you to do is quell that. 
Chill on that. You, you're all right. You didn't wake up that morning acting the fool. You need to thank God yet for the grace of God. There go I. Quell that. Also understand who the true and the living God is. See, we love to paint pictures about who God is, but God knows who God is. And a right revelation of God can only be understood by the word of God. Am I making some sense? I'm amazed at all the people that go around talking about how much they know about God. And they go to talking and they're talking at length about all of these acute, bizarre things that them and God are up to. You know, God told me this morning, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Me and God are doing this. Doing Me and God, like you and God, just on a personal line, y'all too. Y'all too. And it's going on and on and on. And for those of us who are critical thinkers, we know one minute into their conversation, they are delusional about God. We know God doesn't talk like that. God does not act like that. That's going on in your own head and you putting a label God on that. Am I making some sense, you guys? Am I making some sense? Right. It's extremely important that you be careful. As Jeremiah said, don't go go around saying the Lord said this and the Lord said that. Woe unto him that said thus said the Lord and the Lord has not said thus. See what I'm getting at? Now, I know you might have grown up lonely and didn't have a lot of people to play with. But when you get grown and get saved, you don't get to imagine God talking to you. Open your Bible and let him talk to you. He'll talk to you all day long. He has a text too. God's God's been texting us for a long time. Talk to me, God. He'll say, pick up your text and read it. I've been talking to you every day of your life. I talked about you before you had a being. I talked you into existence. I talked you into repentance. I talked you into faith and grace. I talked to you into salvation. God's been talking to us for a long time. And Moses and Aaron, Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eleazar to Ithamar, his sons, uncover not your head, neither your clothes, lest you die, lest wrath come upon all these people. Do you see this? Now, that's why what happened in our numbers text when those people came after Moses and Aaron and said, y'all are the ones that killed the holy people of the Lord is because they didn't behave with this kind of quietness. Raise your hand if you got it. I just want to know if you guys know how to capture the tax. Because, see, this is before our event. Leviticus 10 is before our event in Numbers. You guys got that? This is before. So a lot of times when God allows things to happen in our life, they're to be lessons for us. They should have been able to avoid this, uh, what they came upon in terms of the plague because of this prohibition here. Don't complain. Don't argue with God. You can get emotional and upset and you can get mad and all that, but don't get that at God. Right. I, I, I promise you, I promise you, God doesn't provoke you to get mad and get angry. Now, remember, I taught you two principles. Trials drive you to God. Temptations drive you away. And the devil loves to stir you up in your emotions to drive you away from God. Y'all keeping up with me? And if God loves you, he'll check your emotions. He'll say, check it, check it, because you're getting ready to clown. You get too far out on that limb. I can't do nothing for you until you fall. Then I'll rescue you. But you're going to look bad and it won't be by me. Am I making some sense? Right. A lot of times we have to check our emotions because that ain't the Holy Ghost. Don't ever blame the Holy Ghost for you being angry about something. 
Okay, anger is good when channeled right, but anger does not automatically mean the Holy Ghost is behind it. Frequently, our anger is our own confusion and our own volitional bent to have what we want, and we will pull God's throne down to have it our way. That's what we're learning in our text, so hence you got it. The fire came down to consecrate God's choice. Three subpoints. I'm moving on to my final point. They were rulers of Sodom and Egypt. Do you see subpoint A? They were rulers of Sodom and Egypt. Let me help you with that. And I don't want to stay on here long. Rebel, Isaiah chapter one, verse 10. Isaiah opens up 700, 750 years before Christ comes. And Isaiah said to the rulers of Israel, notice what he uses, the, the nomenclature that he uses. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of what? Give ear unto the law of God, ye people of what? He wasn't talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He was talking to national Israel. Why? Because national Israel had been behaving like Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you understand that? Sodom and Gomorrah. And we saw this in, in, in Isaiah chapter 30. Israel wanted to go back to Egypt so that Egypt could be their strength. And that was because the vast majority of the children of Israel were born and raised in Egypt. Y'all keeping up with me? Remember, they were in Egypt for 430 years. All they knew is Egyptology. So as they're journeying to a promised land where God is going to make them the head and not the tail, they're struggling with going back home because going back home is more convenient. It's more familiar with them, even though it's slavery. Am I making some sense? So This is really bizarre because the fire coming down from heaven was never meant to come down upon God's chosen people, upon God's priesthood, upon God's kingdom. It was only meant to come down against rebels. I want you to get that. Israel was called out as God's son. They were called out as God's servant. They were called out as God's bride. They were called out as his kingdom. I taught you this in Exodus chapter 19, verse four and five. I took you upon wings of an eagle and I brought you to myself that you might be a priest to the world and a kingdom. That means fire was not originally designated to come down upon them. But we are learning something, are we not children of God? You can take the people out of Egypt, but not necessarily take Egypt out of the people. And one of the things that God is going to teach you and me is we can be we can profess to be Christians with our lips. But if our hearts are far from him, we're still sodomites. We're still Egyptians. And the parallel works really well with America, does it not? Uh, Again, I'm very thankful for the people that tolerate me teaching you at Grace because, you know, we carry a parallel with national Israel like no other country in the world. Meaning that we understand the history of Judeo-Christian principles. We understand a sovereign uh, monotheistic God. We understand Torah as law. We understand the morals and ethics, the axioms of how to behave before God in a way in which other nations did not know. We understood the coming of Messiah. We understand Messiah as our mediator between God and man. We understand what it means to walk according to the book as Israel was taught. And the same kind of things that are happening to Israel in our account is happening to us today. What do you mean, Pastor? We are moving from a world where we were largely comfortable with, controlled by, framed by a biblical worldview. We are now sodomites and Egyptians. And the marks are everywhere. 
Now, I say it like this because the first time the fire comes down in your Genesis narrative is upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Did y'all get that? And the fire came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The second time the fire is coming down is upon Israel in our text. Am I making sense? The next time the fire is going to come down is upon Israel in the promised land under Elijah, where the 400 prophets of Baal and 450 of Jezebel are, are warring against Elijah. And he says, the true and the living God, let him rain fire. And Israel realized at that time they had to make a radical decision between Jehovah or the prophets of Baal, which they watched get destroyed. And then Elijah's protege, Elisha, is being attacked by the kings of Judah and Jerusalem as a sin servants to bring him into captivity. And what does he say? If I be the prophet of the Lord, let fire come down and consume you. And he consumed the 50 twice, did he not? That means they were sodomites in their heart. Y'all keeping up with me? It's important for you to get that because my third point is going to make that argument here for you as we look at the apocalypse, the book of the Revelation. So under point number two, sub point A, the rulers of Sodom and Egypt. Sub point B, the plagues of Egypt followed them. So here's what God had said in the book of Deuteronomy to Israel. If you obey me, I will not bring any of these plagues that you have seen me bring upon the children of Israel. This is Deuteronomy 28, verse 60. I want you all to see it just in case you think I'm making this up. What I want you to get is how that God told Israel, if you, if you do what I say, you don't have to worry about me acting towards you like I did towards Egypt. Am I making some sense? You know, see, remember, God plagued them, didn't he? Over and over and over, all kind of ways. And he told Israel, if you just do what I tell you, you're good. In fact, not only will I not plague you, I will heal you of all your diseases. Well, is that, a, is that not a promise? If you obey my voice, if you acknowledge my sovereignty as Jehovah, my crown rights, wherever you go, I will make sure not only that you are not sick, but that your children are not sick and your grandchildren are not sick and your cattle are not sick and your chicken are not sick. I will bless your land thoroughly and and extricate you from all forms of diseases or sicknesses. Isn't that a great promise? Israel never kept it. Before they even entered into the promised land, God is bringing plagues, is he not? Moreover, he will bring upon you all the diseases of Egypt, which you were afraid of, and they shall cleave unto you. That's what Torah said to Israel. See, so in other words, here's what I want you to get as we move to our next point. What we're seeing in Numbers chapter 16 is not ignorance. It's overt rebellion against a God who was pleading with them explicitly how he's going to act if they disobey him. Go back to our final sub point in our outline. I love this. Point number two, sub point C, the intercession of Christ in Aaron. I want you to see this before we deal with our final part. Look with me over in, um, look with me over in chapter uh, 16, starting at verse 43. And Moses and Aaron came before the uh, tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses saying, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. But God's busy, is he not? Day before he wipes out Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. He wipes out the 250. Ground opens up 
swallows up a bunch of them. This is paradigmatic. I want you to get that. We'll see that in a minute. The heavens open up, fire comes down. In other words, God is the God of heaven and earth. And heaven and earth are going to do God's will, is it not? When the earth opens up and swallows up those people, the earth is simply doing the will of him who spoke it into existence. It's important for you to get that. Now, notice what is about to be stated. Get you up from the congregation that I may consume them at once. And they fell on their what? And they fell on their face. Can I teach one more time? Earlier, it was Brother Moses falling on his face. Remember, I told you Aaron was derelict in duty. He was nowhere to be found. He was struggling with his own identity. Fearful to stand up with God in the face of all of those that wanted to take his office. But Moses stood in the gap for his big brother, did he not? A lesson to be learned. A lesson to be learned. Touch not mine anointed. A lesson to be learned. Aaron is equivocating. Aaron is weak. Aaron is fearful, but he's still the one that God chose. Touch not mine anointed. A lesson to be learned. Pray for your leadership when they're weak. A lesson to be learned. Moses jumps in front of Aaron because Moses doesn't want the office. And he knows that Aaron was called to it. And he knows that these men were wrong in their attempt to usurp that authority. So now that Moses jumps in between Aaron and the people, the people are still coming after Aaron. Now God's coming. This time, God says, move out the way, you guys. I'm going to wipe them both out. Last week's title was what? These are my two witnesses. Who are they? Moses and Aaron in our context, right? These are my two witnesses. This week, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Is that not great application? Is that not great correspondence of the Old Testament text with the psalm? Am I making some sense? And I'm not at Jesus yet, but we're getting there. Because you must know this is all about Jesus. This is all about my great savior. Notice what it says. So Moses said unto Aaron, boy, you better run and get your censor. Go get your censor, Aaron. I could sit here for a long time. If I was Aaron, I'd be a little bit shaky about grabbing a censor right about now. People not doing well this day with censors. Would you agree? I mean, if you are going to go get your censor, first pray about it, Aaron. Pray, because, you know, your boys got wiped out. Now half of the uh, Kohathites got wiped out. And, you know, you got to go get the sense. And now Moses told him to go get the sense. And I might say, Moses, you sure you want me to go get the censor? Yes. Because our text said that God was speaking through Moses. Moses gave you the law. God is speaking through Moses. This is the hierarchy of authority. We've been learning that. Aaron, yes, God is speaking to you through Moses. He's not setting you up to be killed. You are the man that God chose. Go get your censor. I love this. They all have brazen censors. Guess what kind of censor Aaron had? A golden censor. We're headed to the apocalypse because the apocalypse is all about what's going on now in our text. The whole of the book of Revelation is a neo Egyptian, Babylonian, Roman Empire motif of how God brought his people out of bondage to make them a kingdom of priests before God. Notice what it says. He put incense therein and he said, go quickly unto the congregation, make an atonement for them, for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. I have no idea what the plague was. I simply know it was a plague and it killed people. 
Way worse than your pandemic. Next verse. Next verse. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. Now, see, listen, you can work with this child of God because remember, Aaron is weak. Aaron is feeble. Aaron has no reason to have confidence in himself. But today it's on Aaron. He gets the ball. He's got to make the run. He's got to believe that God is with him. He's now running into danger. Am I making some sense? And here's where we exalt in Jesus because the whole human race is plagued by sin. And there's nobody in the world clean but him who loved us and gave himself for us. And God, his father, told him to leave heaven, come down to this plague-filled earth and stand in the gap for guilty, hell-bound, dead and dying sinners. And raise the censer of prayer, which is what he did on the night that he was betrayed when he went into the garden of Gethsemane and began to call upon his God. And great, great drops of blood was pouring off of our master, our mediator, our great Aaron, as he said, not my will be done, but thine be done. And by the death of Jesus Christ, he stops the plague of sin in the lives of men and women that trust him. Great and greatly to be praised is our Lord Jesus, is he not? The plague had begun among the people. He put on incense and he made an atonement for the people. Aaron, this is his greatest day. Look at the next verse. Notice what it says. And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stayed. If God had not had a mediating system, all of Israel would have died of the plague. If God didn't set up the gospel of the grace of God, all humanity would die in the plague of sin. Am I making some sense? If it wasn't for the mercy of a great savior leaving heaven, coming to earth, dwelling among men, that we might behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And he laid on him the iniquity of us all. And by his stripes, we are healed. This is the gospel. It's really true. It's really true. Third point, so I can wrap this up. I want you to capture this thought as we close down. These are all foreshadowings of the apocalypse. I want you to see this just briefly. One of the things people struggle with is how to understand the book of Revelation. The book of the apocalypse is a narrative prose filled with symbolism, typology, and all sorts of patterns that are rooted in the Old Testament. You're never going to read the apocalypse right unless you read the apocalypse historically. What do I mean by that? Everything from Revelation chapter 1 to 22 is about the Old Testament symbolically representing what's going on in the New Testament era. You got the whole metaphor of the Aaronic priesthood in chapter 1 with Jesus, who is the great high priest of his people in his church. You guys got that? So immediately you're being told in the apocalypse to go back to the Old Testament. So you got to have history to understand the present. Doesn't the Holy Ghost take history and show us the present? And for us to understand the future, we got to understand the present. This is why I tell you, do not be ignorant about what's going on in your generation today. 
Please let me help you. You and I can frame the Bible on where we are right now and see explicitly in big details, maybe not so acutely for those of us who are not really grounded, but many of us see the patterns playing out exactly the way they did in Israel in the Old Testament and in the first century. So I just want you to see a few things here in your outline. First and foremost, foreshadowing of the apocalypse, the wicked being swallowed up. We saw this in number 16, right? How they were swallowed up. Well, the Bible will speak about this in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the book of Revelation as well. It will show us how the swallowing up takes place. This is um, Psalm 106, verse 16 and 17. Listen to the Old Testament text as we prepare to see it in the New Testament. In Psalm 106, 16 and 17, this is what the psalmist says. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the what of the Lord? Verse 17. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Do you see that? And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned upon the wicked. Now go with me in your Bible to Revelation chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to run you through four verses and show you. The Old Testament is the framework for understanding the apocalypse because the apocalypse is taking coded language to show you where you and I are. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now I'm getting ready to show you the two witnesses. Are you there? Because what we're dealing with in our present text is two witnesses, right? Moses and who? Aaron and who? The law and the priesthood, right? Notice what the text says. And if go back to verse 4. Verse 4, Revelation eleven four. 4, just, just in case people don't get it. These are the two olive branches. Uh, we better start at verse 3, just in case the, uh, people don't understand the context. Notice, I will give power unto my what? Two witnesses. Did he give that power to Moses and Aaron? You better know it. And they shall prophesy 1,203 score days. That's three and a half years. That's 42 months. That's a half a week for those of you who understand the code. Keep it on the sideline. That's another conversation, Okay. Notice what it says. And they prophesied clothed in what? Sackcloth. That means they were mourning. They were mourning. They were not celebrating. Aaron and Moses typified the sackcloth by their falling on their face. Sackcloth is always the expression of wretchedness because we are now receiving the judgment of God for our sins. So when a person tears their garments, they're indicating that treason has taken place against the heights of heaven. And God has every right to punish us. Okay, notice what it says. These are the two witnesses, um, the two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. This is a symbol of the menorah in the temple, is it not? The menorah is what gives light to the showbread. The showbread is the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. But the menorah is in the holy place leading to the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant is. That ark of the covenant is the totality of the person and work of who? Jesus. In that ark is the law. Who kept the law? Jesus. In that ark is the manna. Who is the manna? Jesus. In that ark is the rod that budded. Who is our great high priest? Jesus. The cherubim covering their wings. We talked about that on Friday, did we? You cover, you cover, and they're waiting for holy God because the Shekinah sets on the Ark of the Covenant, and the only way God can meet guilty sinners is by blood, by blood. 
by blood. This is our great high priest who shed his blood for many. Notice what it says. And if any man will hurt them, see, witnesses are going to always be challenged. When you're a believer in Christ, people going to always hate on you. Now, don't give them a reason to in yourself, but just being a believer, they're going to hate on you. Am I making some sense? And so your Old Testament Bible gets this example all the time. Notice what God says. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Is that what happened in our text? Did God speak through Moses? And Moses says, now, if these men die the normal death that everybody do live 80, 90 years, get, a, get cold, get sickness, get flu, get pneumonia or cancer, then the Lord is not speaking by me. But if the Lord do a new thing, then know that the Lord has sent me. The word of the Lord was in the mouth of Moses. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? Is not thy word like fire? That's exactly right. So when we proclaim the word of God, it has the capacity for burning up things. Only when you're, only when you're occupying the anointing. Don't get silly. Okay, because like if you think you can go out there and arbitrarily be mad at people and say, Lord, burn him up. He probably going to burn you up and then raise you from the dead. Because, see, God can do that. He can burn you up and raise you back from the dead. And you go around as a smoke believer. And people, while you yeah, man, I was wrong with the Lord. He burnt me up and brought me back again. I, I learned my lesson. See, remember, that was, that was James and John, right, saying to Jesus, burn them up. And Jesus says, you have no idea what attitude or spirit you have, right? The Son of Man did not come to destroy, but to save life. Right. These judgments are exceptional acts on God's part. This is not what he does every day. So listen very carefully. Fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemy. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. In other words, as Christians, we don't have the right to take up swords and arms and guns and bullets. Our warfare is not carnal. If you're not standing on God's word, you are a carnal believer and you are in danger of being taken out because the ground upon which you stand is not the word of the living God. See, Jesus came and taught us how to win battles. The apostles taught us how to win battles. The early patristic fathers taught us how to win battles. You win battles by staying in your lane. You win battles by knowing your limitation. You win battles by understanding your gifts. You win battles... By walking in love and telling the truth. And I'm going to say it one more time. You want to see the battles won. Walk in love and tell the truth. You want to see the battles won with your kids. Because we got a lot of battles with our kids. Our kids are hell bound sinners and they love this world until God converts them. Is that right? You can't beat your kids into salvation. You can't threaten them. You can't pay them into salvation. The only thing you can do is pray for them. And raise them up in the fear and the nurture of the Lord and then wait on God to tow them back in. That's what you have to do, child of God. That's what you have to do. Verse six, verse six. Here it is. Final. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. That was Elijah, right? Rain not in the days of their prophet, and they have power over water to turn them to blood, smite the earth with plagues as often as it will. That's Elijah and Moses. These two prophets represent the law and the prophets, the word of the living God. That's what, that's what Israel was called to obey, Torah. Am I making some sense? All right, Revelation chapter 12. 
Notice what it says. Verse 12 through 16, Revelation 12, 12 through 16. What are we dealing with now? We're dealing with the son of God who has risen to heaven, taking his seat at the right hand of God. Listen to this language. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great what? Because he knows that he has what? What? For a few of you who don't know, the book of Revelation makes a distinguishing factor between earth dwellers and heaven dwellers. The heaven dwellers are true believers who are seated with Christ in heavenly places. They have a bird's eye view on what's going on. By the way, we are in a bird's eye view in the book of the apocalypse. We're looking down on the earth. Are y'all keeping up with me? We're looking down on the earth, but we're using the framework of the Old Testament to comprehend where we are. Right. So now watch this as a bird's eye view. Here's what the text says. The devil has come down. Well, why did he come down? Because Jesus went up. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Now is the judgment of this world. Now is the prince of this world cast out. And if I be exalted, I will draw. So when Jesus goes back to heaven, the devil comes down. And he has great wrath and he's been that way ever since Jesus occupied the throne. See, the enemy failed permanently when Christ was seated. See, he's always wanted the throne, hasn't he? He's always wanted the throne. I will take my seat in the heavens. I will be like the most high God. I will rule over the kingdoms of this world. I will rule over the stars, over the north. He wanted to be occupant in that seat, but Christ obtained the crown right. Now he's come down and he's been in this world now for 2000 years wreaking havoc. Has he not? Keep up with me. We're right here now. Give me a few more minutes. This is where you are in your world. If you have a heavenward, a bird's eye view, you know the enemy is running loose, wreaking havoc in the political systems of this world, in the nations of the world, in our economic system, in our monetary system, in our educational system, in our entertainment system. The enemy is wreaking havoc. He's blinding men and he's placing policies right now that are designed to destroy humanity. You can see that, can you not? Watch it. Watch it. Verse 13. Notice what it says. And when the dragon saw that he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child because he couldn't get Jesus. He's coming after the what? The church. So now watch the motif. Now here it comes. This is the Old Testament showing up again. Look at the next verse. Look at it. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Where do we get that? Exodus 19, 4. I took you up on eagle's wings. Why? Because the Egyptians were coming after Israel like the devil is coming after the church. And that's where God lifts you and I up when the enemy comes. I love it. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. When the enemy comes in with a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, I want you to see the flood motif. Watch it. Here it is. Notice what it says. And she, she were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, a times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. Because the serpent is coming after her, is he not? He's coming after her like Pharaoh was coming after Israel. Y'all keeping up? And God's leading his people through a way where there was no way. Now watch this. Here's the next verse. Here it is. Notice. And the serpent cast out of his mouth waters as a what? As a flood, 
after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood, overcome, swallowed up overcome, swallowed up. You don't get this, but this here is again, this is a neo-Exodus motif because the Red Sea was opened up. Israel went through and the enemy came in after Israel. And when they had gotten on the other side, what did God say to Moses? Lift up the standard, raise that rod up. And the waters overwhelmed them and destroyed them, did it not? Well, here is where I've taught this church. The enemy in these last days loves to pretend to be God. So he likes using all of the maniacal, hostile powers that would make it look like God is doing it. In reality, this is the enemy playing tricks on people. Floods, the floods, the floods have lifted up. Why? Because he wants to be like God. He wants to be able to swallow people up. And you will be swallowed up if you're not rooted and grounded in Christ. Stay with me. I'll get you out of here in a few minutes. All of the propaganda, all of the media noise, all of that stuff that's going on everywhere ubiquitously will swallow you up if you're not grounded in Christ. All of the lies, all of the manipulation. All of the different distorted malinformation, disinformation, misinformation that's so-called is really designed to uh, unhinge you and cause you to be washed away. Lord, help us. Stay with me. Help us. Help us. Because it's only by the grace of God that you can withstand the floods. And that only happens if you're rooted. You got to be rooted. You got to be rooted because if you're not rooted, you're already washing people washing away. Are we not? They're losing their minds. They're losing their faith. They're abandoning the true and the living God. They have lost a sense of their identity. They're wide open to all of these Babylonian, Sodomite, chaos-oriented identities that are a massive plethora today. How Insane are we to identify as animals, except the Lord has left us. Am I making some sense? Notice what the text says, carried away as a flood, as a flood. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 uh, six through 10. This is the final battle motif in the book of the apocalypse. I'm done here. What I'm sharing with you is I've shared with this church for 20 years, is how to understand the book of the apocalypse. And you don't understand the book of the apocalypse as a book that is speaking totally futuristic. That is your present common day hermeneutic by most of your American Christian religions. And most people that buy into it fail to understand the lack of credibility of that hermeneutic. But many of us know what's going on. What's going on today in our Christianity has been going on since prior, uh, uh, post the Reformation, is the idea of a kind of uh, glorified Western culture under Christian nomenclature that can really do no wrong and will rise up in the end as God's special people centered in national Israel to dominate the world. This is a Jewish-centered, apocalyptic kind of eschatological system. Right. That's not what the book of Revelation is teaching at all. But 
I digress slightly. I put it out there for you because so many people are hankering for Jesus to come and deliver us from our troubles. People have been waiting for Jesus to come and deliver us since the first century. Y'all keeping up with me? And that's because they're not reading their Bibles. Tribulation is going to be had for all of the people of God. You have to go through suffering. That's how God proves who his people are. It'd be great if God's going to deliver all of us, but if he's going to deliver us all at one time, why didn't he just deliver us way back in the first century? Just take everybody out, God. You can clean it up whenever you want to. Let us sit in heaven in the stands and watch you do your thing. No, in the world, you're going to have trouble. And this is how God is able to come and intervene. I don't know what kind of intervention is coming. I really don't. All I know is my job is to show you when the enemy is lying to you in the secular system and when the enemy is lying to you in the sacred system. Because they both have been captured and regulated by uh, maniacal authorities for the last 150 years in America. Y'all keeping up with me? Our seminaries have been lied to. Our pastors and theologians have lied to you about the future. They told you you were automatically ahead and not the tail. And we bought into the same megalomaniac attitude as did national Israel. And you remember Israel used to think, no, the judgment not coming on us. God would tell them explicitly by the prophets, the judgments are coming. They put Jeremiah in a pit with no water because Jeremiah said, Jeconiah, the judgment's coming. See, no one wants to hear the judgment coming. In any event, this is the motif. Once again, you see it in the final chapters of world history as you see in Revelation chapter 20. Listen to it. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be what? Priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is called millennial theology. Y'all got that? I'm already a priest. I already reign with Christ. I'm already blessed. You might be waiting on yours, but I've been walking in mine for 40 years. That's a whole nother point. Just watch this now, because God has already told us. You see this language here? That's in the first chapter, verse five and six. Blessed is he who hath loved us and gave himself for us. That is the Lord Jesus, that he might make us priests and kings of God. We're already priests. We're already kings. Am I not telling the truth? We're already that. You and I need to walk in that. Now listen to what it goes on to say. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Verse eight. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Four corners of the earth, again, is a Hebrew motif referring to the whole world. This is why Jesus said, go ye into all the world and do what? Go you into all the world and preach the gospel because there's a devil coming into all the world as well to bring men and women into captivity to his false gospel. This is the battle that we're dealing with right now. I'm about to let you go watch it because I want you to see it for yourself. Gog and Magog, that is not Russia. It's not China. I'm sorry. That's newspaper theology, the same kind of propaganda that you got bought into just a couple years ago was used 30, 40 years ago to take your eyes off of the real spiritual battle that's been going on. I'm glad you're waking up. I'm glad you're waking up. Notice what it says, to gather them together to battle. The number is as the sands of the sea. These are the gathered enemies, the gathered enemies as the sands of the sea. That's a metaphor, is it not? The enemy loves to do what God does. Didn't God say that Israel would be like the sands of the sea? 
So now the enemy has those that are like the sands of the sea. If you are really tracking with me, it's called globalism. Globalism, write it down, globalism. Globalism, globalism. All of the, all of the institutions, all of the powers, all of the systems, bringing all the people under its authority at every level. This is your biosecurity state. This is your massive ESG system. Are y'all keeping up with me? This is the whole conglomerate of every aspect of your life being brought into captivity by the maniacal system so as to control the masses against their will. This is where you are today. Give me another minute. I'm glad to wake you up. I know you don't like it, but it's true. While you sleep, the enemy is working. While you sleep, the enemy is working. While you're partying, he's setting traps. While you and I are laughing and enjoying ourselves, he's making sure that the loose gets tighter and tighter. And one day you will be fit to be tied because you won't have anything to say about control over your life if you don't establish it now. And it's happening incrementally right before your face. I told you this is exactly what Plato said. When a, when a society is ready to be taken into captivity, conspiracy can be made open and plain. Because once the rulers realize that they have now entrenched all of their authority over the people, they don't have any idea or they don't have any concerns about the people rising up against them. We know this because this has been played out in country after country after country after country with the neo-Marxist socialist agendas turning countries over and bringing it into captivity. This is a playbook out of our military system. Y'all keeping up with me? And you don't know it, the guns have been turned on us. I told you that. The warfare is silent. It's invisible. It's biological. It's intelligent. And it's happening right before our eyes right now. It's a quiet warfare that's not designed to be affected by arms and guns and bullets. It does not have to. Are you keeping up with me? It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. We don't have to see nuclear war. If they do, that's going to be a distraction. It's going to be another fear tactic to tell you to give up every aspect of your right that the government will come in and rescue you. Some of my brothers and sisters are living in the 20th century. 21st century warfare is massively psychological. This is fifth generation warfare you're dealing with. It's a battle in the heavens and it's a battle in the hearts. And it's disrupting everything that is coherent in any of us. And the enemy is creating tectonic shifts in the plates of our society and people are moving to one side to the other and they didn't even ask for it. Are y'all keeping up with me? And we're divided because of those tectonic plates shifting. Political, social, economic, psychological, medical, biological warfare. This is what's going on. The enemy is making his rounds now. And according to our text, it's all to take out the true and the living God. See, isn't it funny that any perverse thing, any wicked thing, any vile thing, any corrupt thing can sit on our social media outlets. But then the moment you tell the truth, they want to shut you down. 
Don't you close your eyes. This is all simulation. It's all simulation. Some are going to sleep. Others are waking up. Are you waking up? Some are going to sleep. Others are waking up. Here it is. And they went out on the breadth of the earth. That means encompassing the whole of the earth. And they encompassed the saints about. The saints are always the same saints, okay? These are Jews and Gentiles in Jesus. They're all the same saints. The Old Testament church model what the New Testament church is going through. Am I making some sense? This here is your ultimate uh, Armageddon motif. It's the gathering of the nations against God's ideal people. And really what it is is a battle of ideologies. It's a battle of worldviews. It's a battle of opinions. Am I making sense? Right, you'll notice, here's how this goes. I'm glad I got your attention. Watched it. You'll notice that people who are aware hold positions that are similar to people who are aware. We hold ideas that are similar. I don't have time to unpack them, but when you meet people who are clear thinkers, aware of what's going on, understanding morals and ethics, recognizing that boundaries have been broken, clear on the atrocities taking place in our governmental systems, and they are acting like heroes. I told you, savior motifs don't wait on a whole bunch of people to come help them. They do what they got to do wherever they got to do it because they're standing for truth. This is probably how you know everyone that's presently on the Lord's side. Because they're not living for wealth. They're not living for glory. They're living for freedom. 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 Y'all keeping up with me? Freedom. And that's the nature of the gospel, isn't it? Whomsoever the Son shall set free shall be free indeed. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul as a slave to this artificial intelligence system of an antichrist government? And they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. These are all motifs. And fire came down from who? And fire came down from who? God has to intervene because the saints are outnumbered. Did y'all catch that? You, you don't see nobody legislating. You don't see nobody waging, you know, uh, mercenary wars. You don't see anybody rising up with any carnal material agendas to thwart this. You see heaven opening up again, just like we did in our text. See, God spoke. But watch this. This is my application. If I'm going to give you an application, here it is. God speaks when his people fall on their face. Now, this is, this is, this is going to be something for you to think through because I've been hearing for decades upon decades in our political system. Do something. Do something like prayer is not doing something. And woe unto you that run out there and do something and don't first pray. Because if you're not smart enough to know that the enemy already anticipates you doing something, then you're stupid. This game is already strategically set up in terms of its conflict narrative. The enemy knows we are going to do what we do. This is part of the psyop. Am I making sense? 
It knows how to move people to be moderates and conservatives and extremists and so forth and so on. It knows these, all these algorithms are set in the plan. It knows humanity very well. We're not dealing with the ignorant systems. It knows what positions we're going to play. What it does not know is the reality of a sovereign God who knows how to intervene when it becomes too much for God's people. I love this. And so fire came down from God alone out of heaven and what? Devoured them. This is the way God closes out the narrative of history before he starts the great judgment. There's a great judgment comes out. Look at verse 10 and then verse 11. Look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet already are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a great ending to the story of history, isn't it? That's a great ending to the story. But we're not done yet because when he returns, the sovereign savior who is the mediator of of all men will set up a judgment throne. And that's what verse 11 says. Look at it. Notice what it says, and I saw a great white what? Pure, righteous, spotless, impeccable, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Now, everybody getting ready to meet God on his grounds. See what I'm saying? Y'all see what I'm saying? What I'm saying to you and I, we need to make sure that we're thinking God's thoughts after him that we understand the Bible properly in terms of the reign and rule of Jesus, understand our role in the world, understand how the enemy has set up his antichrist model and don't agree with him on it. We have no idea when God is going to ultimately intervene. He has told you and I that you and I are to stand in righteousness with the whole armor of God on in order that we might withstand the evil one, the wicked one himself. We are to walk in the word of the living God. We are to speak the truth and love and let the chips fall where they may. Let the chips fall where they may. You may pray and then you may act. And after you act, you need to pray again. And you need to stay under sound teaching so that your footsteps can be guided by a God who will prosper your way. Do not be presumptuous. Okay, do not be presumptuous. And the one thing I'm going to really ask you guys to do is, is ask God to open your eyes as you continue to read and watch and invest yourself in all of the social media rhetoric. Ask him to show you the truth from the era so that you can walk in the spirit of truth. There's only two spirits in the world. There's only two spirits. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Only two spirits. There is no middle ground. Either God is showing you the truth or he's allowing you to have your own way. Just ask him, ask him to show you what the truth is. And when he shows you, grab those tassels and play with those tassels. Play with those tassels until the virtue of the Son of God comes out and heals you of all of your weaknesses and all of your maladies. Lord, let me handle the tassels. I need to know you in the power of your grace, in the mercy of your revelatory truth. I need to see you on your throne. I need heaven to be opened up. I need to know you are the one controlling the powers of the world. And more than that, oh Lord, I need to know what I am called to do. 
in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.